0: Oh, and welcome to the northern overexposure retrospective episode for season three my name is Charles
1: my name is Lee and that's right we're gonna be talking about our favorite elements our favorite things favorite moments characters uh, of season three it's been 23 episodes quite a long one so I had to go <laughs> I had to go back. Quite a ways, Charles. No,
0: no, no, me too. I totally forgot about the earlier episodes. Um, I, t- I forgot, like, Rick turning into a dog, <laughs> Joe and Maggie riding in a plane and having a crash.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's a great one.
0: But, yeah, we're going to be talking about our favorite moments, favorite characters, top five episodes.
1: And then at the end of the episode, we will be reading out some fan mail. We have some write-ins from fans, like, what's your favorite moment of, of the season? And just favorite episodes. So, yeah, I don't know. Where where do we begin? What is season three?
0: Well, I wanted to talk about what actually makes this different from the other seasons, other than the obvious answer that it has 23 episodes, and the other seasons have uh, seven and eight, respectively.
1: Right, yeah, they're much shorter. Yeah, you, you brought up the question to me, Charles, why is this a complete season?
0: I have a couple of answers on this. So I think that... The first one that comes to mind is that we have recurring characters in this season. So, Rod and Eric yeah. were introduced last season. Right. But they come back throughout this season. We see it on Adam and Eve, particularly. They come back, I, I, like, three or four episodes. Yeah. There are common people to see. Officer Szymanski, she comes back uh, at least twice, I want to count. Yeah. On this one.
1: I think the, I think we mentioned it, like, her second or, like, her last time coming back in the season was... Sort of just like a throw... It felt like kind of like a throw-in. Like, there wasn't a lot going on there. But, you know, I'm glad they brought her character back. I hope we see more of her in a more... um, In a deeper capacity. Yeah.
0: I think that this season also deviates from the other seasons in that it can have episodes entirely dedicated to other characters and we've seen that before in the earlier seasons but it feels like on this one they were comfortable with the fact that it doesn't have to be about joel at all like the audience understood that the townsfolks have their own lives so we don't even have to mention joel so Three Amigos, for example, that was yeah. an episode that didn't even have him at all. And it still worked within the confines of the show.
1: Yeah, that that episode specifically is very out there, for like on the spectrum further away from your typical episode. But there are um, smaller examples of the same thing, where, as you're saying, like we don't really see Joel. Maybe we see him a little bit, or maybe we don't even really see him at all in the episode because, you know, there's there's more focus drawn to... I don't know, the the rest of the, the town, the cast of characters there.
0: Yeah, I would say that those are my major factors onto what separates the first two seasons to season three. But what do you think?
1: Yeah, maybe there's something that we can be getting at here. The idea that the first two seasons maybe feel more like auditions for a complete season. I mean, obviously, they're a lot shorter. So it's really easy to see them as just sort of like um, short little collections of what the TV show Northern Exposure might be like, you know, if someone actually, when people ask, you know, uh, I I, I want to start watching Northern Exposure, where should I start? I mean, just start in the first season. It's easily digestible because it's only eight episodes, you know, very short. And it's the same with the second season, you know. And and if you finish the first season and still like it, you know, you're watching the second season. It's it's just as easy. And in fact, it's one episode shorter, so it's really easy to get into. So maybe that's a distinction in that this season is sort of also around the height of the show. You know, it's, it's starting to win a lot of Emmys, get a lot of critical acclaim. It also is a very popular show, just like very high ratings for television of the time. And so this this show is starting to really settle in to this is a, a real TV show, not just sort of like a, a half a season order, which effectively is what was happening the first two seasons.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that that was a really good word to use. Like I felt like they were audition seasons. And now they know that like the audience understands certain aspects of Sicily. So whenever we go to a town hall meeting, for example, we don't have to explain what that is. Right. It's understood that this is the nature of how things work in there. Yeah, I think
1: the show has always been pretty good about writing in the exposition, you know, so if you're just tuning in and you've never seen an episode before, you could probably pick up on what was going on, except for maybe like Sicily or Three Amigos or something like those episodes that are kind of further removed. But I think the show has always been able to do that sort of exposition work, though we may have talked about it on the podcast before, but everything really is starting to feel lived in. So not only is the show explaining it to you, there definitely feels like each of these characters has like its own history and its own, like we've started to figure out these characters, even if we're just tuning in.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good observation. Like, um we can really dig into the backstory of each character and it makes sense each time that we evaluate it, we're like, oh yeah, like, of course, like that's why hauling reacts this way. This is why like Chris is so into voting because we're just (laughs) going into the, you know, the whole essence of what makes them. Do you think that any of the characters have long lasting change in them from season three?
1: Hmm. Interesting. I mean, okay. So season three sort of towards the end of the season there is a big development with Joel and Maggie from the episode, It Happened in Juno, uh, which is not fully resolved, um, but in Our Wedding, they sort of address it. Uh, still kind of, the, the door is still kind of open, half a jar maybe, but other characters, um, I don't know. Do you have any that come to mind?
0: Uh, not really. Joel is the one that I thought of exactly on the episode you said, It Happened in Juno, I think that that was starting to have some character change within him and Maggie because the follow-up episode, Our Wedding, we can see that this might actually go somewhere. But for the other characters, I feel like they don't necessarily have like a deep realization – about themselves and that they're going to forever change. I feel like Chris is still going to be manning K-Bear and still um, musing about the nature of things. Hollings still going to be the barkeep. Maurice is still going to be a businessman. I feel like those character traits are still there. But the only one that I can really think of that, honest to God, changed was the relationship between Maggie and Joel.
1: Yeah, and there have been some pretty significant changes with the characters. I think we we mentioned before, like the show likes to write the characters in such a way where they might affect some sort of change in themselves, but then they always immediately afterwards show, uh, you know, that they're still the same character that we know and love. So for instance, when Joel uh, decides to actually make friends with people in town, like actually engage, I mean, because he thinks he has, but he hasn't really made any strong lasting relationships. But, in Lost and Found, when he invites everyone over for like a potluck, he's making them burgers. He still mentions the fact that he he considers Alaska a jail, like a prison. But <laughs> he's like, I might as well enjoy my time here if I'm going to be stuck in prison. So, you know, and I think Maurice kind of does similar things. You know, he learns to respect Ron and Eric, even though he's still... Uh, disapproves of their love for each other in some ways.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make about Maurice and having to be slightly more accepting of Ron and Eric's relationship. It occurs to me that this season, the reason that we can even talk about Joel and Maggie is because this is the first season where Maggie is single. In the first two seasons, she was with Rick. But we start off in the very first episode of the season, The Bumpy Road to Love, we have Rick's funeral. And that starts off this whole event.
1: Yeah, and actually, Rick is in this season, but just as like a a dream or something, or he's in heaven. Uh, and then I guess he comes back as a dog, as you mentioned before. But yeah, the actor for Rick is is back just for one episode, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so that kind of opens up a lot of doors for season three. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I I just kept getting more and more excited when I was looking back at these episodes that we haven't covered in a long time. And there's so much, so many little side plots that I've forgotten about or I don't, you know, you don't think about on the surface when you just read the title of an episode or even if you read like a summary, you know, there's so much, so many little characters that are operating in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah. So many um, B and C plots that you, you just, you totally forget about them. But then like, I don't know, like I had the same feeling. Like I thought about it. I was like, oh, I totally forgot that they had that plot line where this character was trying to do this. And like, I really enjoyed it. And But that wasn't even the main thing.
1: Well, let's talk about it. Let's start getting into some of the like specifics. Uh, so we were trying to decide what our categories should be. Maybe a simple one is favorite character of the season.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good one to start things off with. I think that I want to say Ed.
1: I feel like Ed Wynn has won the, has he won the first two seasons? Because he's he, he such has. a cool character.
0: He's so great. But yeah, like on this season, I just didn't feel it. Like he had a couple episodes that were standout for Ed, but I don't know. I kind of feel like he got sidelined.
1: No, definitely. To toward the end. I was going to, yeah, I was going to come in and say, yeah, I think, I don't think the problem is in Ed's character, but that he actually becomes a little less featured as the series uh comes to a close, though we do get to see more of his like filmmaking, which is really cool. Those are some of my favorite moments. Is his uh his sort of like documentary style film about about Sicily, the town, and uh, uh, one of my favorite moments is is not actually on broadcast, but it was the deleted scene. Do you remember in Animals Are Us, Ed is trying to make a film and he loses um confidence or he loses his belief in the film. Like he just doesn't. He doesn't think it's the right move. He doesn't like the film yeah. anymore. After he mm-hmm. started editing it, he realizes it was a mistake. But uh, in one of the deleted scenes for that episode, you get to actually see the scene between... It was like Chris and Hauling. It's like very dramatic. Uh, very cool. <laughs> yeah, so I like that about Ed in this season. I, it's hard for me to pick a favorite character of this season because there, there are so many episodes. I think that's going to be true for for any category because there's so many nominees, you know, but I think one thing we could say about characters in this season, I think Ruth Ann finally gets some justice, you know, like her character is finally given some attention, or more so than the previous seasons.
0: Yeah, I think that she starts to become part of the main cast throughout this season. I would agree with you there. She's definitely fitting the mold of Sicily, like just really coming together with the main cast. But I think that my favorite character for this season and the reason that Northern Exposure is Northern Exposure is the character of Chris. Yes. I, I have been critical of him being like, oh, he's acting like the Greek chorus. He's just in the background, just monologuing or musing about things. But, you know, honestly, if it wasn't for him manning the station at K-Bear, I don't think that there would be that X factor in Northern Exposure. I think that's the thing that makes season three really great compared to the first two seasons. So I would put Chris as my favorite character.
1: That's a good point. You know, like Chris has always been probably my favorite character. One of my favorite characters of the show. So I guess I'm like not quick to, to nominate him, but that really is a great point that you make. That sort of is a part of this mysterious secret ingredient, like the X factor that you said is the sort of philosophical bent that he adds to any subject in every episode. Like every plot line is able to be analyzed with that sort of lens of, you know, philosophical thought, uh, spiritualism sometimes. It gives it a different level than just your average sort of sitcom. It, It tries to add weight, you know to to just everyday, small, simple town life.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no. Completely agree. So, for example, whenever the gun and ammo shop was being taken down, yeah. ordinarily, every other character would be like, oh, dang, that sucks. Like, the, <laughs> It's been here for a while. The shop's going down. But Chris is sitting there with a brick from that building musing about it, and it fits with his character. He's that type of person that would go into the deep end about these types of subjects, but it wouldn't make sense if... Pauling started doing it, if Maurice started saying stuff like that. So you're right. He's the character that allows Northern exposure to really be it.
1: Yeah. It offers sort of a thematic outlet, like one of the characters that can actually sort of really, um, I'm going to say muse, I guess. That's the word that we keep using. I think that's a great word, Charles. But yeah, like allows the writer to muse on certain topics. And I think some of my favorite Episodes of Northern Exposure are the ones where characters are just asking questions. You know, I guess we'll talk about this more whenever we get to our like top five. But for instance, the episode Our Tribe. A lot of that is Joel sort of asking. There's a great scene where Joel is with Ed and he's walking the goat. I don't know if you remember. He he was a uh, gifted oh, a goat yeah. as a I forgot about that as a present for uh, curing one of his patients. And, um, you know, I think the scene starts off, he says, Ed, what does belonging to a tribe mean to you? And I I think the show is really introspective at times. And, and that's something I really like about the show is when it does simply ask a question. I think we, uh, a recent episode, Our Wedding, there is a sort of a monologue that Bernard gives on K-Bear where he doesn't really give any answers, but he <laughs> sort of muses or asks questions about, what is it about um, marriage? Is it a biological imperative? Or is it like a divine mandate? I don't remember what the words he uses.
0: I remember he talked about like the differences between men and women and how it didn't matter in the end because ultimately they wanted to be together, which was really fitting because it was kind of like subtext on Joel and Maggie's relationship. So with the clever use of the radio of K-Bear, you can talk about topics without really just hitting them in the head. Like, yeah, I, I I mean, I guess you could argue that it is hitting it on the head yeah. with the use of radio. But like, I mean,
1: it gives it like it it a different that. layer or it gives it like a different lens, I guess, to kind of. Yeah. You're not just directly talking about something on the nose. Even when you are, you have that sort of that added layer that you can kind of separate.
0: Okay. So I want to talk about our favorite moments in season three. And I have a couple of them.
1: All right. What you got?
0: Okay, so I think me and you both have this as one of our favorite moments. I'm gonna guess, but it's the episode Animals RS where Ed gives up filmmaking, or at least becomes discouraged in it. But then at the end of the movie, we see
1: the little documentary
0: that he made, and I thought that was a really sweet, pleasant scene. Yeah, I remember notching that down on my notes, being like, "This is like a really great Northern Exposure moment."
1: And it looks like a really cool film. You know, it's sort of this voiceover narration, very simple and enjoying the beautiful small things that Ed sees whenever he's just walking around Sicily. Real slice of life.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that my other two moments are, they're closely related, but they're from different episodes. So they're the town hall scenes that happen in (laughs) Democracy in (laughs) Action and in The Body in Question. They both have town hall scenes. They kind of both have Chris leading the charge. And I just really enjoy those types of scenes uh, where the town is all coming together. It's very formal, yet because it's such a small town, it's not formal because everyone can just kind of speak their mind. Yeah. And I think they're great writing vehicles for people to use.
1: Yeah, I think... uh the show does justice to these scenes like anytime we go to a town hall scene there's usually a very important debate like a dilemma or a question that needs to be answered and these are this is some of the best writing as you said and these episodes happen during these town hall meetings the Quandary of should we unveil this um, frozen Frenchman Pierre and reveal that Napoleon wasn't at the Battle of Waterloo, like what sort of butterfly effect would that have on the rest of history if we revealed that this very important moment actually never happened? I'll also add in the town hall scene from Lost and Found with um, the U.S. Postal Service, you know? Correction, the episode I'm talking about is called The Final Frontier, Episode twenty in season three. I really, yes, I really enjoyed yeah. Joel and Chris's uh, argument. <laughs> is it always Joel and Chris arguing?
0: Uh, <laughs> I think the election episode between the mayor. Yeah. Like when they were electing the mayor. Right. I, I, I don't think that that one has Chris arguing. That one's um, more of
1: just hauling and and um,
0: Edna. Yeah. Trying arguing. to answer questions. Yeah.
1: So just a couple other favorite moments. I mean, I think a big one for any fan of the show is. Uh, the fling, you know, it's not the thing you fling, it's the fling itself where they fling the piano. Yeah. It's a big set piece and and very memorable image and, you know, the music playing behind it. Again, calling back to that body in question town hall meeting, the way that town hall meeting is interrupted by the Telekutans. I love that scene with the Telekutans rushing into the town hall and they say, like, "We we've come for the body.
0: Oh yeah, it's I totally forgot so cool. about that. That's actually that's funny that I can remember the town hall scene, but I don't remember right. how it ends. Because <laughs>
1: there's so many, there's so many great little snippets that are almost hidden in a way. Um, there really are so many favorite moments. It's going to be hard to to sort of pick and find each one because they're they're hidden in this way. But I'll offer this could be like sort of the end of this segment and bleeding into our next segment. One of my favorite moments is uh, one that I nearly forgot about, but it involves the character Larry Coe or Bob. You know, like the the, the chimney golfer. sweep who was actually a golfer. Yeah. Yeah, the famous golfer. I really liked that, for some reason, that moment when Joel sets up that, that putt at the very end and he asks Larry to just try it, like just see what happens. You know, this was the character who sort of choked at the, at the what is it, the Masters?
0: Yeah, it was some sort of like large golf tournament that's no longer ran, like it's discontinued.
1: Right, and so he choked on just like a three-foot putt and it sort of like ruined his entire career. He just went AWOL after that. But I like that Joel kind of wants to see that magic again and even when Larry sinks the putt, you know, it sort of feels like he did it more for Joel than for himself, but something about that scene and the way it's uh, covered like I think the last shot is um, Larry in a wide shot like the whole scene is in a wide shot at the end and Larry sort of like um, steps back towards the whole it might be a trick of editing where like they let the shot go on too long but it seems it just seems uh, kind of real and kind of like some some strange moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember that one where it seemed like it was something from Joel's childhood that they needed to be settled and I, I remember his reluctance in wanting to do it, but he eventually caved in. And yeah, that was like a really quiet moment where there isn't a lot of action being done. It's I mean, it's just a man trying to putt three feet into a hole uh with two characters watching him, Joel and Ed. But oh, yeah, there's a lot the, of unspoken. It's <laughs> okay. like... A, what, He's a caddy. (laughs) There's a lot of of unspoken action happening right there that makes the scene very heavy.
1: Yeah, like it doesn't really mean anything or amount to anything. It doesn't mean Larry is a professional golfer again. It doesn't seem very important, but the way it is captured feels, gives it some sort of importance and I don't even really understand what it means, you know, in the end, like what's the result? What does that matter? But I'm just so glad it was included there. Um, I just also want to say real quick, so Ed is the caddy in that scene. That is from the episode Burning Down the House. So directly after caddying with uh, Joel and Larry Coe, he goes to drive the the like tractor or whatever is carrying or pulling the trebuchet catapult thing. So he's just like jumping we, around that entire episode.
0: I don't know if we talked about it on that episode, but is he in any way qualified to do that? Like, does he have the proper permits or the yeah, qualifications?
1: You, you, you brought that up. Um, yeah. I, I think I had just said, you know, this is Sicily. This is like the wild west. No one, <laughs> there are no, there are no gonna rules. Let,
0: like we're going to let this uh, young teenager uh, just operate heavy machinery.
1: So I was trying to steer us towards a uh, best guest star. You know, Larry Coe I think is a strong candidate for one of my favorite guest stars on an episode. I really, also really love the scene where he um, he's like in his truck and he's about to leave. He tells Joel, you know, I have to leave now. You know, like now that you've exposed my real identity, I can't stay in Sicily. I've got to like he he doesn't want to he doesn't want the attention. He doesn't want the shame. He wants to just go like live in the shadows. And so he tells Joel he's got to leave and and he's just about to leave Joel. Joel's just standing outside the truck. And before he leaves, he has a moment with Joel. He says, he thinks about it and he says, you want to know what happened? You know, referring to him choking. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like he's thinking about it for a second, but then he just says, I don't know what happened. And I, th- I thought that was a really... Um, A really human effective moment.
0: Yeah. Like he's, I'm sure we went into it much more in depth in that particular episode, but it seems like maybe he himself just realized it at that moment where he's like, you know what? I don't have anything. Like I don't have an excuse. I don't have some sort of proper sentimental thing. I just honest to God, don't know what happened. And that's why I flopped.
1: Yeah. It's just like, there's no reason. It's not that he isn't a great golfer. It's not that he was a good golfer. It's just, that's, And this inexplicable thing that happened to him and has changed his life. And sometimes that happens, and it's you can't explain it.
0: Yeah, love it.
1: Well, so what are some of your favorite um, candidates, nominees for Best Guest Star?
0: Okay, so through the definition of guest star, it's any character that's not a main cast. So yeah. I feel like I can nominate Valerie Mahaffey, <laughs> i.e. the character of Eve. Yes. But because she's already an established character, I'll go with another one. I thought that the character of Irene Rodinette, the optometrist yeah. in Only You, I thought that she was actually a pretty good character now that I thought back on it. She, yeah. was, uh, she was the one that was the only woman in the town of Sicily that was unaffected by Chris's pheromones. Um, apparently, Chris attracted like a Chris wide Conn. swath of women. <laughs> yeah, Chris Khan. He had so many women with him. And that was the one woman that he couldn't get. And I think I liked her character, not because I was like, oh, she's like immune to Chris or anything like that. It's just that the way that she played it out was that she was very stoic, like very matter of fact. And she was just there to do her job. And she didn't relent. It wasn't like at the end, she fell in love with Chris. She knew what her priorities were. And she kind of just went ahead with her own life. And something about it, I just really liked.
1: Yeah, somehow she seems just like the most uneccentric, just normal uh, person. Whereas everyone in Sicily is uh, these crazy the kind of wild characters like very designed characters in that you know they each have certain like flaws or certain characteristics that are flashy or or whatever but uh she just seems like so normal or typical and uh she plays it super well i think
0: yeah it's fitting that the optometrist would be able to want to be able to see the most like quote unquote see the most she was able to not be dissuaded by anything and just be able to see straight
1: well yeah i think we can count um recurring cast members, you know, like Eve, I think that's totally could be considered a guest star. I think in the same running would be Bernard. He, he returns a lot in this season. And I always get very excited when Bernard enters an episode. You know, there's always a scene where it's like, Bernard, you're back! And everyone's excited and happy. I think even whenever you see, like, I know whenever I see... um I think the actor's name is Adam Arkin, who plays Adam. I know that Adam's in an episode because, of course, the the actor and the character share the same name. So like you know, when when you see that that billing at the beginning of the episode, get get a little excited,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: so there really are a lot of guest stars that come to come to mind for me when I like am looking back at all these episodes. And I think that's really what makes up those those memorable moments is these characters that come to town or that you see really the the storylines sort of revolve around them or hinge on them in a way. But uh, just some honorable mentions. Um, of course, Rick. I'm glad that we got at least one Rick. I, was, I never thought when I originally watched the show that I, I enjoyed Rick's character or actor very much. But on this rewatch as we do the podcast, I really like Rick a lot i don't know just the, just his character uh ron and eric you know i think actually ron and eric are only in one episode this season which is kind of startling
0: hmm, yeah i guess you're right they really are
1: the final frontier well i'll go ahead and say that i do remember them recurring a lot more later in the series so um even though it felt like they were here more this season uh I think it's just one, but I think we'll be seeing a lot more of them in the future. So I'm really glad. I'm, I like how they handled Ron and Eric uh, in this season, in that episode. Um, the Flying Man. I, I really like The Flying Man, even though I think rewatching that episode, um, Get Real, was a little less effective this time for me uh, than, than the first time. I still really like that episode and I really uh, enjoy sort of this... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like the tenderness in his... Plot line with Marilyn. And I do have one more guest star um, that I really enjoyed. It was uh, Colonel McKern from the episode Lost and Found.
0: Yeah, he's the one that comes in looking for money from Maurice. And it's not for like any nefarious reason. It was just, you know, simply to start up some sort of a investment project.
1: Yeah, I think when I first watched the episode... I thought, you know, maybe there's something nefarious going on here. or Maybe there's like something that we don't really realize. But the truth is uh, what we don't realize is that um, that the colonel actually admires Maurice much more than Maurice admires the colonel. So it starts off with uh, sort of Maurice idolizing this man, where in reality, at the end of the episode, you know, we kind of get the sense that the colonel is trying to say look, you know, I'm only human and uh, you should really be proud of yourself. You got to stop, like, idolizing me. You know, you, you've you done much more than I could ever be. I, I think the line is, uh, y- you want to know why I never became an astronaut? It's because nobody asked me to become an astronaut. Like, he never got that shot like Maurice did.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's a great device to use in order to reflect on Maurice's reverence for his elders or, like, his superiors. Because he is the character that, like, unquestionably will worship them.
1: Um, yeah, so sorry, I had quite a long list of best guest stars, but I, I kept uh, trying to, you know, figure out what, what are all the nominees, who are the candidates, and, and each time I found, it's like, oh, this, this character was in this episode, but, you know, maybe it's a one-off here or there, but I really, really enjoy these little side plot lines.
0: Okay, so we're talking a lot about the show Northern Exposure, but let's talk about the podcast a little bit more about what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. So on the podcast, at the end of every episode, we always have a guest analyst on that comes and talks about what it felt like for them to watch the television show. And for this season, we had about 20 or so guest analysts. Not every single episode had one or some of them were repeating. But (laughs) I want to preface by saying, Thank you to every single one of the guest analysts that came on. We loved every single one of your opinions, uh, what you thought about the show, what you didn't like about the show, and your honest opinions about it. So for every single one of y'all, thank you so much. But I do have to say, though, there are two guest analysts that I particularly liked. Yeah. And there are two different reasons. So for the first one on a serious way, I liked Nico for the episode wake-up call. I thought that he brought up a lot of views that me and you didn't even think about. And I was really kind of floored by his analysis. And I remember being uh, very struck whenever I heard him talking about it because he went through a lot of themes and a lot of areas that we didn't delve into. And for a newcomer to be able to see that, I was really amazed.
1: Yeah, I think he took it very seriously. You know, I think he really enjoyed the episode and really... I guess it resonated with him. Just seeing all these uh, these different themes and motifs, I think he I think he used the word echoes of like these different elements that sort of maybe happening in one storyline is sort of echoed in another. Like these themes of nature, magic, and um, reality. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great episode, and I think one of the one of the best uh, guest analysts.
0: Now, for one that really made it their own, I would have to give that one to Hayden for Oi Wilderness, for really just capturing into that moment of being a guest analyst. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not to say that what she had to say was drivel or, like, useless. I'm not saying that at all, but, like, I really enjoyed the way that she kind of just made herself a character yeah. into the podcast.
1: Yeah, she... I think it was, like, very personal. You know, she was... Uh, sort of performing in a way, but it was really funny. And uh, yeah, I think she really, she kind of spoke openly and, and sort of like uh, felt very personal and just like chatting with someone, you know. <laughs> it was very goofy. That, that is definitely one of my top favorite guest analysts. Um, I'm realizing that this is going to be hard to pick one, so I think I'm just going to list a couple of my, my favorites. Uh, I got to hand it to John, Paul, and Lee. They were the brothers who recorded for the episode Roots. That one was a very interesting analysis because um, Lee had grown up watching the show and uh, John Paul had started watching the show probably in high school or college whenever uh, we were, me and uh, Mason, we're we're all in a band together. We, We started talking about it and maybe shared the show with John Paul. And I really liked their analysis because it was two brothers Just kind of chatting for, I think it was like 10 or 13 minutes. It was our longest bit of analysis, I think, but I really wanted to include it like most of all of it because it I think it really I I think it's just kind of like the nature of podcasting, two people talking. You know, it it really, I don't know, I enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember them just kind of like playing off of each other. Like they they like one would have an opinion and the other one would just chime in to be like, well, let's not save it for like uh, Lee and Charles to talk about it. We can just talk about it amongst ourselves.
1: <laughs> and um I think similar to Nico's commentary, uh, but this one is a little goofier, but I think it reached uh, a similar level of analysis was uh, Danny in the episode Dateline Sicily because uh, he sort of went way over analysis on everything, almost to the point that it was humorous, but he was like arguing very fervently. But I think that, even if it was sort of a humorous take, I think there is uh, some, some lessons to be learned in there, like some certain, maybe you're overanalyzing it, but that's what we do all the time, Charles. We kind of like analyze it to the ground to where it, it kind of doesn't really matter. But, um, but I do think it was a very interesting and fun analysis. And um, then just finally, our, our guest, John, on the episode, A Hunting We Will Go. I I remember, I actually can't remember too much about it, but I do remember really enjoying um, his take on uh, his actual experience with hunting, which sort of mirrored the episode.
0: Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That played right into the episode. I was really glad that he was able to provide insight into that since, you know, neither of us hunted before.
1: Yeah. You know, there's so many. I think every guest I could talk about, you know, I'm looking at them now. they're They're also good. And I think we said this before, but... Really, like, every time someone has something to say about the show, it's always uh, expanding on what we've said, you know? It's always something different or, or something new, which I really like.
0: Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Um, I have one more to add. Yeah. I forgot about Jeanette.
1: Yeah. I really... That was a, a, a fan of the podcast who has her own podcast, and, uh, you know, we invited her to do a commentary for the episode Our Tribe, because that's sort of about, um, you know, Joel joining into the tribe and, you know, becoming a little bit closer to the town of Sicily. And, uh, you know, we thought it fitting that we would ask uh, someone who is like a Northern Exposure fan, part of the Northern Exposure tribe, you know, to to chime in. And um, I really liked what she had to say about sort of this nurturing, sort of caring aspect of the way the townsfolk, each character, treats each other.
0: So those are our favorite guest analysts for each episode. But... I'm having a hard time deciding what my favorite episode of season three would be for the podcast.
1: Yeah, there are um there are a lot of them and it's kind of hard to remember, you know. There's I know that we've really gotten into every episode. I, I think I really enjoy at the end of every recording, Charles, I feel like it really enriches my understanding of the episode that I watched, you know, because I have my own opinions, but kind of talking it out with someone really gives me a, a better understanding of every episode. But um, I tend to choose, I feel like uh, for the first two seasons, I would choose like uh, the ones that we had the most fun on. And so maybe I would choose one of the episodes that we recorded in person, Charles. Um, those were a lot of fun. But uh, I think one moment that has always stuck with me uh, its earlier on in the season uh, of this podcast is uh, in Oi Wilderness when... We found uh, a Wikipedia article for Wolf Attacks. Do you remember this, Charles? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that. We could not stop laughing. And that was, uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite moments.
0: Oh, my God. Just the very idea that that exists is (laughs) the greatest thing ever. I, I love that so much. I think you're onto something. The episodes where we're together and recording are one of the most memorable ones. So with that in mind, I would have to say Burning That in the House was a really great yeah. episode. I remember recording that one. And I thought that we were really on top of things on that one. I thought that me and you might have been on different aisles. Like, I believed in one thing and you believed in another. And I think we were trying to convince each other as to why this thing worked. So off the top of my head, I can remember talking about living in the suburbs versus, you know, living in the city or something like that, or like why we shouldn't give so much crap to people who chose the suburbs, which was a position I was trying to take. And I remember you were able to offer counterpoints to that, and I, I really enjoyed that episode in particular.
1: Yeah, I don't know if this is like giving away our secret sauce or, well, I mean, even, I mean, I can say this, my favorite episodes of ours are the ones in which uh, you know, we each prepare our own notes and kind of talk about elements that we like to talk about. But the ones where a, a genuine question comes up organically, something that we hadn't really prepared. And uh, it's something in the episode where, you know, I wasn't thinking about it. It totally catches me off guard if you ask a question and it makes me sort of in the moment re-experience the episode. Again, that's that's my favorite Uh, episodes of the podcast i don't know what the listeners what really works for the listeners so i could be way off but to me it's whenever um not only do we have a lot to talk about but that we pose questions to each other that we didn't even have in each other's notes in our respective notes you know
0: yeah yeah those usually bring out the best aspects of each other i would agree about there
1: I think just uh, an honorable mention should go to "It Happened in Juno" because that was kind of a fun special episode. With um, we watched it live with our friend Jay, and would pause the pause the show every once in a while and talk about uh, what we just watched live.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that one deserves special mention because I don't know if you had that feeling as well, but it felt like I was there in the room with y'all. Exactly. We were watching it, like, and we weren't because it's. Uh, (laughs) at the recording time of the recording it's still quarantine time but in that one it felt like just three people getting together to just watch an episode whereas regularly we watch it individually and then we like come together for like a book report exactly but on that one it felt like we were just like chatting along being like oh hang on like i got something to talk about right here and we like pause the episode and you know start rambling on
1: yeah, I really think there is a big difference in how we normally prepare for an episode, or at least for me, I, I'll watch an episode and I'll oftentimes rewind a scene a lot or I'll um, pause pause a scene and look something up just to sort of get a full understanding of what's going on. But uh, there is something to be said about actually watching an episode in order. I mean, I guess for that episode, we did pause it. But um, yeah, it, it, if we had more time, Charles, we would be watching these episodes more than once. But uh, <laughs> because we only have, you know, a limited amount of time. I feel like when we prepare, we need to like really focus on everything that we see. Okay, now I think it's time for us to talk about our favorite episodes. Uh, In the past seasons, we've done like a list from like best to worst, ranking every episode. Um, I almost thought about trying that for this season, but of course there are 23 episodes. So it would be really hard to kind of... Uh, get so precise with it you know I did end up breaking out all the episodes and giving them like a rating like 1 through 5 and I found that I had a lot of 3's no 2's some 5's and some 4's you know a 1 here or there but um, yeah so I I can't say exactly my ranking 1 through 23 but um, I do have a top 5 All right. so do you want me to go first or do you want to go first
0: no, no, no. You can go first. Uh, rattle them off.
1: Okay, I'll list them from the top five episodes, but from, like, the worst of the five to the best, which is to say, like, the last episode that I name will be my favorite of the season. Uh, and it's actually pretty close, so it's kind of hard to say. These, these, uh, don't hold me to this. I'm sure if I watch this season again next year, it might change, but number five in my top five is The Body in Question. We've talked about it a lot already, but um, I think it's a very interesting episode. Uh, and, and it's one of the episodes that was um, released for home video. So the showrunners knew, you know, or the executives or whatever, knew that this was a special episode that people would want to purchase. My number four is A Hunting We Will Go. Because there is that sort of quandary of Joel really recognizing that you know, he has these opinions, these strong opinions about hunting, but he's never actually done it. Like he doesn't really have all of the information or all of the data, you know. So he's decides to actively try to form an opinion. And uh, again, there's a lot of this episode where there's a scene where Joel goes to Ruthann and says, Ruthann, what do you think about hunting? Or, you know, he goes to Hauling and Chris and he's like, Holling, uh, Chris, what do you guys think about hunting? It's a lot of those, you know, questioning and, and points of view Uh, So we get varying points of view. And um, of course, the ending of this episode is spectacular. It's the scene where Ed gives Ann a grave. Like he gives her a plot of land to be buried at because the entire episode he's very worried that she's going to die because she's very old. But um, I think this is a very poetic way of sort of resolving this tension between Ann and Ed. My number three is things become extinct the Duck Flute documentary is very interesting. I like that Holling has the midlife crisis and he and uh, Chris drink a lot of potato vodka or something out of the still. And the ending of the episode is uh, particularly moving. I think I cried when I watched it. The uh, the ending is uh, the puppet show with... Uh, Shelly puts on a puppet show for hauling. Oh, yeah. And I really think that is one of the better, hauling Shelly. Like, that is an episode that makes me believe they are in love and it's not just a silly uh, age difference for jokes. Yeah. Uh, Number two, Our Tribe, because uh, we kind of talked about it. It's another one of those episodes where Joel is asking a lot of questions. He has this amazing vision search with Ed, where they're just laying on the ground and they're looking up at the stars. They see a shooting star or I think they actually miss it, but we see the shooting star. And uh, Joel asks, you know, what do you think happens to us when we die? You know, they're just just like these big open-ended questions. Got to point out that Holling has his telescope in that episode and uh, he's like searching for this lost star. Also, I... I realized that maybe some of these might be some of your favorites, so I'll try not to go too far into each, maybe if you want to talk about them. But uh, my number one would be Wake Up Call, particularly because of, uh, I think I mentioned it whenever we were recording the podcast, but uh, I always remember the shot when uh, Leonard drives away and Joel walks over to Marilyn, who is planting flowers. We get this sort of interpretation of... Uh, Joel's School of Medicine versus uh, Leonard's School of Medicine, how they approach their patients and their practice. And the episode ends with just an amazing montage of these images that sort of seem like paintings. You know, Maggie is sitting alone on a log. Ed is uh, throwing baseballs and hitting them with a bat. Uh, Maurice is playing bagpipes on the roof. There's a lot in there. I've, I've been talking for a while and I, I didn't want to step over some of your favorite things. Maybe we have some similarities or, or maybe they're all different. What do you got, Charles? No,
0: no, no, no. That's fun. My list is—it almost came very similar to yours and I really liked your thoughts on those episodes that didn't make the list on mine because huh. maybe I should be reevaluating my list because I totally forgot about that scene where Joel and Ed are sitting underneath the stars kind of pontificating about life and I just totally forgot about that scene and how much I enjoyed it. Um, But we did share two episodes, and they were even in the same order, too. So my number five is The Body in Question. Nice. And my number four was A Hunting We Will Go. Yes. And I really, really like those episodes. But unfortunately, the top three, I would have to say, are pretty... They're they're better. But (laughs) between those three, they're really close to each other. So I would go for number three would be Burning Down the House. Yes. Then number two would be Democracy in Action And then my first one would be Lost and Found. Nice. That would be my favorite episode of Northern Exposure, though I suspect that that is a crowd favorite episode, Lost and Found.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, Well, hey, talk a bit about each of those. I think you said democracy in action, uh, but it's uh, democracy in America.
0: I always make that mistake. (laughs) I don't know how. I I, I just made the list. I I got the list from Wikipedia and from my own notes. I don't know how I keep keep mixing mixing those two words up. But for Burning Down the House, I remember really enjoying Maggie's plot line and thinking about what she's going to do for the future whenever a house gets burned down accidentally by her mother. And I remember Chris kind of helping her throughout her decision to move forward. And, of course, that's also the famous episode with the catapult. Yes. Yeah, and I like that Chris kind of gives up hope on that episode, but then Maurice kind of steers him around. And that's a really great Maurice moment right there where he's able to take charge and really be the slap in the face that you need. I think that's why I highly prize Burning Down a House. For Democracy in America, I just really like a good uh, old-fashioned red-blue episode. And, (laughs) you know, it's such an obvious politically divided episode between Joel and Maggie and how obviously they're coming at life at different angles. But I like how it resolves itself where Joel offers to buy Maggie a drink and they just went through the election just talking about why their fundamental differences were wrong. But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter because they were human and that they realized that they liked each other in a way despite those differences. And I think it's a nice little statement about what could be on today's political climate to a degree. Um, You know, just on like ideological differences and how you can come together right there in order to go forward. Yeah. Just small little stuff like that.
1: You know, I think... uh... Uh, we didn't really settle on it, but we were talking about some like some of our favorite Chris sermons of the season. That episode has a great one where he's talking about his like uncle who uh, realizes like halfway in the middle of like a fishing trip, he's like, "Oh, it's voting day! Uh, I got to go vote." And it's uh, you know he votes in this landslide where Nixon wins, but you know he voted against Nixon and he said, you know, at, at least he got the chance to sort of like give the finger to Nixon with his vote.
0: That's the one where he went from a governor, right? Like, he right. would have voted for that. Oh, my God. I got his <laughs> clock cleaned. I think he lost. He only won Massachusetts, I think.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Okay, so you're number one.
0: Uh, lost and Found. I really like that one. It's the one where Joel is realizing that he didn't actually make any lifelong connections with the townsfolk. And it ends really lovely with him with having that potluck and and then there's the photograph and it's kind of like a montage scene where you're going through all the characters and it sounds really cheesy but it really works in the context of the episode
1: yeah and that one i think uh, is one that is super memorable so i think a fan would would instantly remember those images like at the end of the episode oh i also wanted to point it out about our tribe it has like that ending I didn't mention, but I really like the ending of our tribe. Whenever uh, Joel is inducted into the tribe, and they have like a potluck, and yeah, everyone's really like nice. uh, stuffing food in his face and like touching his hair and like cheering him on. But I think Lost and Found is super effective with that that ending of uh, the song. I loved that um, Bobby McFerrin song and the the photograph, sort of like the slow pan across. Uh, speaking of, uh, just an honorable mention. I don't know if it would really be, it'd probably be in my top 10, but uh, the ending of Dateline Sicily is one of my favorite endings of an episode. Uh, That's the, it's similar. It reminds me of like the Joel's like vision search with Ed in the woods. Uh, Joel goes with Maggie. Then the very last scene, they go to the woods because Maggie claims to have heard these trees as they're crying. It's like this um, fake article that Adam wrote, but Maggie believes it. And so she brings Joel to the woods and um, they just sit in silence. You know, she, she asks Joel, you know, not to, you know, it's like she can't believe like he's just making fun of her. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And they just sit there and uh, listen and stay quiet. And it's a beautiful ending.
0: Yeah, that one's a really great one. Um, I really wish I could have put that on my list. but Yeah, same. Gonna leave, just going to leave it out <laughs> just by a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, so those are our top five, but we did ask uh, our fans of the podcast and of the show uh, to write in and let us know what their favorite moments and favorite episodes were for season three. And we got uh, some emails in, and uh, yeah, let's just kind of like go through it and check that out.
0: So Betsy B writes in talking about her favorite episodes and moments in season three, but she also has this really sweet story that I wanted to say on air. She writes, Northern Exposure, it was something that I had in common with my new boyfriend that I met in 1997. We would rewatch a few, but on our old VHS tapes, and the recording times are off, so we would sometimes miss the endings. We were romanticized the show so much, we bought an old hotel in a small coal mining town in rural Pennsylvania. It was really Northern Exposure esque, but for many reasons, we moved on. Still together, we bought them on DVD and rewatched them with our teenager who loved the show too and named our adopted dog, Chigliac. Very, very
1: sweet story right That's amazing, yeah. It's sort of like you can imagine this own little microcosm in in the old hotel. Very, very romantic and uh, that's such a cool story.
0: Yeah. So for our top episodes, she has Burning Down the House, Democracy in America, Lost and Found, and The Body in Question. And for her last place, she had three amigos, which she wrote. We almost always skip.
1: Yeah, we. That was on our podcast. That was when we did in person. We were having a little bit of fun. It was not our favorite episode by far, but uh, I'll just go ahead and say. I mean, like, I I could see people wa- watching that episode and liking it. I mean, obviously Betsy is not a fan of that episode either. But um, I I want to say like I, I don't want to throw any judgment on that being like a poor or a bad episode. It's, uh, just, I don't know, like I can see people enjoying it, which, which is actually, I just wanted to quickly touch on something that, uh, I heard from, we were writing in from Michael Samuel, who is actually writing a book on the cultural history of Northern exposure. But we were talking on Facebook and, uh, he mentioned some, some favorite moments and he, he mentioned something like there was a poll in one of the Facebook groups, um, in the past, maybe it was a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm not sure how recent it was, but um, he mentioned that Three Amigos was winning a poll as like one of the favorite episodes. Maybe, maybe I misinterpreted that or he got it backwards that it was the least favorite, but it's possible that it might be a favorite of a lot of uh, fans of the show. That is
0: crazy that that would be nominated as the favorite <laughs> one. Was it I, opposite day? <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, obviously, definitely probably one of the bottom of my list. But, uh, you know, that's not to say it's like a bad episode of television. You know, it's a, it's an interesting out there sort of episode. Like we talked about how it's kind of like removed from the normal. It's like a very specific, uh, unique episode. So we have another write-in from Kara G. She listed a number of favorite moments. Uh, so... She mentions, you know, Maggie and Joel crash landed in the Alaskan wilderness in the episode Oy Wilderness, Adam and Eve's wedding with the paper cranes in our wedding, um, hauling singing Ave Maria to Shelley in Soulmates. Also in that episode, Joel gives his Christmas tree to Maggie and Maurice uh, learns to his love for his son Duquan, despite um, his son being foreign and maybe strange to him. Uh, She also writes Joel and Maggie's kiss in It Happened in Juno. Joel's closure with Elaine in the episode Roots. And then the end of the season, which is Joel sitting alone in the brick after hours and he's just kind of sitting there thinking about the history of this town. Um, But she says if she had to choose a favorite, uh, the ending of Lost and Found, the photo taken in Joel's apartment that uh, we were talking about, Charles is one of your favorite episodes of the season.
0: Yeah, crowd favorite right there.
1: And then we also got uh, from, I think, a post on Facebook, or it might have been a message, uh, Jeffrey B. writes, Soulmates. Uh, Again, we were kind of mentioning all the the greatest hits of that episode in Kara's uh, remembering of of her favorite moments in that episode. But uh, that's definitely, again, it's one of the episodes that was released for home video. And uh, yeah, it's just such a wonderful holiday episode. It's sort of like a Christmas episode, but it sort of invents its own holiday with the, uh, the Raven Festival. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree. Uh, particularly the Raven storyline. I forgot about that one, but that was really great.
1: So we have a couple more pieces of fan mail, uh, not necessarily about season three, but just uh, just fan mail in general. Charles, you want to read some of that?
0: Yeah, so we had an email from Bruce R. He was saying that back when it was airing, he would watch the television show Northern Exposure with his friends weekly, and they would always, you know, be having a great time, eating good food, good drinks, good conversation. But unfortunately, he was also working as a charter pilot that had a really crazy schedule, so he had to miss out on a lot of the episodes while he was away at work. But eventually, Northern Exposure got to be released on DVD. And Bruce says how excited he was whenever he actually even heard about it. You could catch back up on all the episodes that he had ever missed right there. And he says that he's watched it countless numbers of times and he's always trying to introduce it to however many others along the way that he can find on this television show.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. He talks about how he's revisiting the show many years later when he got the DVDs, but then also being surprised by these episodes that he missed, you know? So it's sort of like revisiting this nostalgic feeling, but then also kind of living in it for the first time. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, Even though, you know, unfortunately had to wait so long, but uh, it's, it's a happy ending, I think.
0: Yeah. It's just like a time machine really, because the show aired 30 years ago and for someone to rewatch Northern Exposure, you're not just watching the old television show, you're rewatching your life 30 years ago. Yeah. And I think that's what Bruce is touching on, which I really thought was eye opening.
1: Yeah. Thanks again, Bruce, for writing in. We also have a little bit of uh, fan mail from Matt S., who has been uh, following along with the podcast, kind of like watching an episode the day before our podcast release, sort of uh, following along in tandem. And he pointed out in Democracy in America, uh, in that episode, Maggie and Joel are represented as Democrat and Republican, respectively. But in real life, Matt points out that their political views are actually kind of the opposite. I can see on Janine Turner's Wikipedia page, she, she's quoted as calling herself social liberal but fiscally conservative, and that she identifies more as a libertarian. Um, so yeah, kind of kind of the inverse there. And uh, Matt also mentions that he took a trip to Rosalind last summer. He sent some pictures from uh, his time there, and he recommends the burger at the Brick.
0: Wait, the actual Brick?
1: Yeah, the Brick in Rosalind, Washington uh, serves. I mean, obviously, in the in the TV show, we can see the signs that say like spaghetti feed, uh, but apparently they have a pretty good burger.
0: Oh wow, nice.
1: I really, yeah, that's a life goal is to go get a burger at the Brick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it still there? Like in 2020?
1: Yeah, thebricksaloon.com. Apparently uh, it's been there since 1889. Um, I think Jay mentioned this in one of his uh, past episodes when he was guesting on the show, but he had actually visited Rosalind, Washington. And, um, you know, the interior of the Brick is actually a set, but the exterior is the the actual building. Um, But inside the Brick... There is like a little water spittoon that is kind of like at your feet. And apparently they do like little toy boat races uh, underneath (laughs) the bar there. So that's pretty cool. Um, Yeah, let's let's check out the menu real fast. This is a little promotion for the brick. All right. Wednesday special is prime rib, Thursday cheeseburger and fries. So we got to go on a Thursday and get that burger.
0: It's number one of 12 restaurants in Roslyn. It's really...
1: I think Roslyn's pretty, pretty small too.
0: yeah. (laughs) i mean it's number one there's nothing to sneeze at
1: that's some good stuff
0: all right quick punch in right down to the wire we got some last minute email from mr tom h and he emailed us to say that his favorite moments from season three were the piano catapult and when maurice drank with his son at the brick and those are really great moments i gotta say like we were talking about recently the piano catapult seems to be a fan favorite it's a really great moment And I don't think we really talked about Maurice drinking with his son, but that is kind of a quiet, you know, a good moment for Maurice's growth.
1: Yeah, that's in Soulmates. I think someone had written into uh, sort of just just summarizing favorite moments. Um, But Tom also asks us a question in his email. He says, who would you cast in a new version of the show if it came out in 2020?
0: Ah, it's such a good question.
1: Yeah, I, you know, immediately I'm not a casting director. I'm actually, I don't think I'm that great at choosing actors either. You know, it kind of, I don't know. I've gone through the process of auditions and then sometimes I've made short films without even auditioning the actors in the first place. And and uh, I can't really say what's best practice. I guess you should probably audition your actors. But uh, <laughs> But this is still a very fun exercise because I'm trying to think of actors who really could embody the same performances, but also maybe also thinking about how the show might change if it came out as like a reboot in 2020.
0: Yeah, I was having the same problems that you were saying, but the way that I reimagined it was... If we're going to recast a show, we're probably going to change some stuff about it. Like, we don't have to keep it exactly the same. Like, it has to be that exact age range on that actor. It has to be even, like, the same genders. Like, I think that you can mix around a lot as long as you have the concept of the character down. I don't necessarily think that the race or the gender uh, matters that much. So I had used those as factors whenever I was trying to recast.
1: Yeah, so we're kind of thinking more of a reboot Rather than a remake, so we're kind of reinventing it in a way, but trying to capture some of the old magic. Um, what do you want to do? You want to start us off?
0: Yeah. Okay. So for Joel, I had three actors in mind. So the perfect actor that I can think of, quote unquote, perfect, would be Chris Messina. I've always been a really big fan of that actor, and I think he's got that.
1: Je ne sais quoi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess you could say that je ne sais quoi. Like I can see him in the role of Joel where he is serious yet not too serious. Like he has enough range to be dramatic.
1: Yeah, Joel was the hardest for me to choose, I think, because Joel has to be, you know, he has to be a comforting physician, but then he also has to be sort of like a very abrasive New Yorker Uh, he has to be a worrier. He has to be, you know, Rob Morrow really does a great job as this character. I don't think he's the greatest actor who ever lived, but you know what? I think he does a really good job in a lot of these episodes. Um, I don't think I really found an actor that would replace Rob Morrow for the reboot, but, um, I was trying to think of it at least in a different light. Like, If you think about Northern Exposure in the 90s, it's about a Jewish doctor from New York who is a fish out of water in a small sort of hick town. So I tried to think of like other scenarios of, you know, what that sort of expression would be like, but in 2020. So, you know, maybe it's like an Ivy League uh, young black doctor or uh, an Asian doctor. Uh, um, (laughs) The only thing I really settled on was maybe like a Dev Patel for Joel?
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I think he could
1: work, but I don't think he's the best. I, like, I, I'm <laughs> not solid with Joel yet.
0: Uh, Yeah, no. Uh, it really is a hard one to cast. <laughs> um, That's really interesting because my two other picks were John Gallagher Jr., who was also in the newsroom with Ben uh, Patel, yeah. <laughs> and Steven Yen.
1: Yeah, I had him as a, a runner-up too. Yuen, I guess? Yeah, Steven. But I think he's a little too... Um, like, he's kind of sexy and mysterious, and he has sort of, like, a sneaky... At least the stuff I've seen him in. He has sort of, like, this bent that maybe suggests more of a villain, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, I...
1: Something about I, him I, I, does uh, does fit, too.
0: Yeah, it, hmm. <laughs> That's really interesting that you say that. He definitely could be really typecasted into villain roles. I, I, maybe it's his high cheekbones. Like, I can't <laughs> tell.
1: I like your John Gallagher. Is that his name? John Gallagher?
0: Yeah, John Gallagher Jr. Uh, That's a I good I felt choice. that he is more age-appropriate for the role of Joel.
1: hmm Yeah, that was another thing. Like, I could think of a, a lot of great actors, but I tried to limit it to, like, if we were rebooting this in 2020. Um... Well, let's move on to Maggie, maybe. And, and this is probably because I've been rewatching Community, but Jillian Jacobs, I think, really fits that sort of. Uh, she can display that same sort of like frustration that you see in Maggie sometimes. And she's like a strong woman, you know, in, in Community. She's sort of like a feminist character. But uh, I'm also thinking about her, her acting in the series Love, the Netflix series.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Judd Appetite one?
1: Yeah. Well, what did you have for Maggie?
0: Uh, I had three picks for her. Um, I had Shailene Woodley, which was the most age-appropriate one because she's around in her mid twenties, ah. and so is the role of Maggie. And Nassim Petraj was the second one from SNL, and Katie Finley. Uh, she is most well known for *Man Seeking Woman* on season three.
1: Oh yeah, nice choices. I was kind of looking at some uh some SNL cast too, you know, for a lot of these because this ultimately a lot of the acting in the show really relies on some comedic talent, you know, even though I think the the most powerful moments are dramatic. I think this show is a very dramatic show, but I think you got to have some comedy chops if you're coming to this. Oh, yeah. Uh, So for my next casting for Ed, this one was really hard because Ed is such a great character. And I believe like if you want to cast Ed, you should probably cast a Native American actor. Same with like Marilyn. But I just couldn't really, I didn't recognize, I couldn't find any just young Native American actors when I was doing Google searches and and none come to mind. But I think you really ought to cast for the type. And you know, if you think about it, Northern Exposure, I don't think any of these actors were really big names at the time. So we're, we're, we're bringing big names to the table, but.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. I think that Ed was also one of the roles in which I thought about it heavily. And uh, all I can think of was like, I don't want to explicitly go find a well-known Native American actor just for the sake of this character wanting to be Native American. I felt it would be better if you just cast an unknown actor, uh, that was Native American, but still had the chops to bring it. I yeah. thought that was a better one. But I still have picks for them. But yeah, what was your pick for Ed? <laughs>
1: Uh Just sort of like we were talking about SNL. One of my favorite SNL comedians is uh, Kyle Mooney. I thought he could be a very oh, goofy... Oh, good pick. And he's in, you know, he has that film, uh, Brigsby Bear, where he is like making a movie. So that reminded me of uh, like sort of the filmmaking aspect of Ed.
0: No, that's such a good pick because he's kind of... a. Uh, uh, Distant, quirky, very introspective <laughs> person. I'm imagining in real life. I have no idea, but uh, I, that's what he portrays yeah. in SNL.
2: Who'd you uh, have for
0: my pick? I gender flipped on that one a couple nice. times, so I had Sophia Lillis, who is well known for It, Chapter One. Oh yeah, the girl in was, It, Beverly. Yeah. Right. Th- I think she was in, like, the Nancy Drew reboot movie as well. <laughs> uh, I thought she could play an interesting Ed. Uh, Sydney Lucas, who is a theater actress, um, I thought that she fell into the age range mm. of what Ed would be. And the character she plays, Small Allison and Fun Home, I thought could actually work into the role of Ed in my mind. And the third one would be Jabuki White who is a correspondent on the Daily Show. Um he's really young. Uh he has a lot of comedy chops to him and it's not so much nice, that he's very yeah. quirky but like he is he's got his own personality. Yeah. So I thought maybe if you rebooted Northern Exposure that would be like a characteristic of Ed.
1: Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, I think that uh usefulness is very important for Ed's character. I don't think Kyle Mooney's got that. So <laughs> <laughs> Um So my next one, this one is really tricky because I think we talked about it, uh, that sort of X factor that Chris, the character of Chris Stevens brings to the show. It's a very specific character and it was really hard for me to try to figure out who would fit that. I I had some ideas. Most of them were not really 2020 or not close enough for like this 2020 reboot. And finally, when I did, I, I think I've nailed it. But uh, the actor, unfortunately, um, sadly, has, has passed away. But I think if he were still alive today, Anton Yelchin would make oh, a fantastic pick. Chris Stevens. That is a, yeah.
0: Oh, my God. That's such a good pick, man.
1: But maybe you can, because I was really hitting a wall. So, so what did you have?
0: Yeah, for my pick for Chris, I went with Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. (laughs) I think he always always plays like a smug know-it-all or like a terrible human being. But I think that he has enough chops to actually turn it around into a very introspective, very confident, uh, philosophical man.
1: I think I could see that. So the next couple I have, um, Maurice and Hauling, you know, they're kind of similar in the age range. Obviously, Holling in the show is supposed to be very old, you know, but he has that longevity in his genes. Um, But I don't know. I think so you can kind of like toss these around, but I I think it would be really cool to see Keith David as like uh, as Maurice or Holling. I don't know. I think he's really his sort of look and his expressions have really grown with age. Like I really like Keith David today.
0: Then we are in agreement because that is also one of my. I put him down. I put
1: him down for hauling. Nice, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think actually my number one for hauling. uh, Just, just if, and I think. So we were talking about if we're rebooting the show, we might change aspects of the show. I really think the hauling and Shelly. Relationship could probably be um, flipped or or like um, changed in in different ways. Like that is the one sort of for the '90s, it was like a, a progressive thought. So what would it be for the you know for 2020? But if we're trying to cast it closer to like a remake, uh, I put William Hurt for hauling. I think uh, today he's he's looking pretty old, but he's uh, he's got just sort of a very caring affect you know he he's i think he'd be great
0: oh from broadcast news no he's awesome in that yes oh that's a great pick
1: yeah uh just rattling off some names for like the maurice hauling uh bruce campbell i think he'd be pretty fun he's he's a kind of a comedic actor oh, yeah
0: yeah
1: uh john goodman is is looking pretty grizzled he's played a lot of hard uh characters you know so maybe a maurice but
0: i didn't think about that but he'd be a great pick but he'd also be It's almost, like, too big. He's too big for that role. Yeah. But I know we're dream casting at this point, so it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. And I was thinking, like, you know, if we rebooted the show, it'd probably be, like, a lot of smaller actors and then maybe, like... Again, I've been watching Community, and I think it's, like, fascinating that Community (laughs) is a show that had, like, Chevy Chase, who's... I don't know, like, what was Chevy Chase doing before that? But he's sort of, like, the biggest name, you know, in the show, so...
0: Oh, yeah. They actually... uh, Fun little trivia... Dan Harmon originally didn't want Chevy Chase. He wasn't even on the radar. Yeah. Uh, NBC forced Chevy Chase onto him because apparently Chevy wanted to be on a television show and Chevy still had a lot of pull at NBC and they felt that that would get a lot of eyeballs onto the television show. So that's how he got cast in. It was not Harmon's first choice. Yeah.
1: Well, who did you have for these, like, Maurice Halling?
0: Yeah, so I gender-flipped Uh, for both of them a lot. And so in return, I also had to gender flip Shelley if you wanted to go with that. So for Maurice, I had Brian Darcy James. He is a theater and film actor. He's most well known for originating the role of King George on Hamilton. He's also in Spotlight. Mm, And I thought that he would do a really great Maurice. Uh, Jeff Daniels. Uh, Uh, I think he would knock it out of the park, but also (laughs) way too big of a name. (laughs) And Catherine Hahn. Who I think she usually always plays a very very confident abrasive woman in her ah, appearances on television shows. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of having her be the role of Maurice. That could be
1: a great Maurice. I think the Jeff Daniels and Catherine Hahn, you really kind of hit it with the uh, that their kind of type.
0: Yeah, for hauling, I had Jimmy Smits, who's well known <laughs> for.
1: <laughs> yes, that would be so good. I was
0: about to say Star Wars, but like it, I guess he is well-known for Star Wars. Like that's not his main one, but yeah. Uh, I also had Laura Linney playing Holling or Sharon Horgan. I think both of them could play a very good Holling right there.
1: Mm, I don't know if I know... Who's the second one?
0: Sharon Horgan. She's known for a lot of British television shows.
1: Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, and then, you know, I was trying to think of like a good Ruth Ann. I, I couldn't really find... I mean, I know there are like tons of, oh, wait, 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 wait. Maybe like a Annette Benning. I just remembered that could be like a good Ruth Ann. I was also thinking like Sally Field, but you know, I, I just couldn't think of someone. I know there's like, I know there's, I know I could think of something if I had some more time, but yeah, there's definitely someone who could knock that role out of the park.
0: I like Annette Benning. I think that's a really good pick right there.
1: Yeah. Did you have I, anyone? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I went with either Glenn Close, mm-hmm. who yeah. I really liked, and, um, all of her films kate mckinnon from snl or (laughs) tig notaro because she doesn't Uh, necessarily have to be a very very old woman yeah she could be a very eccentric woman like uh kate could play or like a very hardened wise uh
1: tig yeah
0: yeah, like just just what tig portrays in life
1: yeah those are great actually and yeah i was thinking about that for the reboot they could probably be younger you know (laughs) What 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 other... Uh, that's kind of the end of my list. What else did you have?
0: I have Shelly. And I think that if there's a male hauling, then she could be played by Zoe Deutsch. Strange last name. I can never pronounce <laughs> it right. I think that she would play a very good role for that. And if it was a female hauling, then I would go with Lucas Hedges.
1: You know what? That's such a great... I was going to try to like sneak him in there somewhere, like maybe an Ed, but... That would be really cool.
0: Yeah, he's a really young, pretty boy. Uh, I, I felt that he would be too. Honestly, it feels really strange for me to say, it, but like, uh, just too attractive in the role of Ed. <laughs> like, it, it just like would be out of place too much.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think he's. I think yeah. I think he'd be. I think he could work. But uh, but no. Yeah, I do really like that. If it's like a gender flip. Yeah, I was saying how if this came out in 2020, they might try to tackle something apart from just like. Uh, a separate like age range in a relationship. You know, what if the what if the relationship instead of being sort of this weird love triangle between Hauling Maurice and Shelley, what if it were like a polyamorous relationship? That's maybe something a little more current or or even like um you know like a, a trans relationship or something like that. That could be uh, sort of a progressive topic.
0: Yeah, that would be really progressive.
1: We shouldn't forget Marilyn. You know, she's you know, I guess part of the top cast, I would say. But again, I think the casting of Marilyn in Northern Exposure is, she seems like the most like a non-actor. And I really think you ought to get like a non-actor for this part because it's kind of so simple and so ordinary, you know? You gotta, you don't yeah. really want to play that up too much.
0: I agree. I think that's also one of mine that like I almost didn't even get anybody for that one. It was just like you have to cast someone that's unknown to fill those roles
1: Well, yeah, so that was a fun little experiment. And uh, we can end this little punch in with uh, Tom's closing thoughts. He says, at this point in season three of Northern Exposure, I'm growing weary of the Joel-Maggie relationship and think they need to pick a direction. But it's my hope that the focus of the show continues to be on the townies and generally that it keeps delivering weird, bold, philosophical storylines filled with magical realism. So, yeah, I think we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on in this podcast, Charles. Yeah, all right. Back to it. Um, Okay, so lastly, we do have a bit of audio that we can play. Um, This is from uh, someone who has written to us in the past, JC. Uh, He's got a take on his thoughts of season three.
2: Hi, I'm JC. I want to thank you guys for doing this podcast. As someone who knows the episodes really well, The over-analyzing is adding new dimensions to what are old stories for me. It's kind of like seeing them for the first time again. Thank you. After the innocence of season 1 and 2, season 3 seems to me like the maturing of a story. As well as the elements of the original story being greatly expanded in season 3, they somehow also managed to take the magic from the first two seasons and turn it up to 11. The show went from a story about a doctor going to live in a small Alaskan town to a story about a town of people with a visiting doctor. I like that most of the characters we get to know are people that came from other places, yet they seem to belong to this place. The stories of where they came from are not only featured, but they are integral to this town. We see Dr. Fleischman and we wonder, will he also become a part of this? Does he belong here? Will he choose to stay We all want to feel like we belong somewhere. Sicily is a state of mind. It's the place we all want to live. Northern exposure shows us that place can be where we currently are. We just have to choose to be in the place that we are. Season three is great to watch. It's like the essence of the show. As we move on from season three and consider that there are three more seasons to go, we'll no doubt wonder, can lightning be captured in a jar yet again? That's a journey we'll all have to take for ourselves. Despite the coming constraints of network executives, for me, the show most definitely remains worthwhile with many, many wonderful episodes to come.
0: So that was JC's thoughts on Northern Exposure Season 3 and kind of Northern Exposure as a whole. And I really liked his thoughts on it, uh, especially about the townsfolk being integral to the town, which I agree on. It That's the thing that really makes Sicily alive. It's not because of some sort of... Uh, attraction or a natural wonder that's happens to be there it's the few number of people that are there that's making it come alive out of its pages so yeah really great observation from jc there he also stated that sicily is a state of mind when it's a place that you want to go to like a place of belonging and yeah it's really true like ultimately we all want to be surrounded by people that care about us and to be in an environment that is accepting of who we are and willing to challenge us. And I think that Sicily is a perfect place that does that.
1: Yeah, it's like not too busy. You can kind of escape reality and uh, just really be surrounded by a community. You know, it's not so much about, uh, it is day-to-day life, but it's not scary. You know, it's that community, like you said, the caring. JC also mentions, uh, I think this is a, a very boiled down essence of the idea is, that the first two seasons kind of feel like a doctor visiting a small town. And this season you could say is like, a, it's like about a town with a visiting doctor.
0: Yeah, great inverse right there.
1: <laughs> so um, this kind of wraps it up for our retrospective, Charles, I think. But there is a, um, a quote from JC, the question, can lightning be captured in a jar? You know, what's going to happen after season three? What do you think is, is in store for the future of Northern Exposure?
0: Okay, so I have to be forthright about this. So I think that there is a big shakeup that happens in season four. And everyone's been keeping it kind of like hush-hush around me, the people (laughs) that have seen the show. But I think that a new character comes in. And even if it wasn't spoiled for me, I would have guessed that in a way. Because it's around this time that you want to shake up the formula for a television show. So introducing a new character perfectly in line. I am actually very excited for that.
1: Well, yeah, I'll try not to spoil anything for you, Charles. Um, but the, the question, can lightning be captured in a jar? I don't think that the fourth season and the fifth season are bad or anything. I, th- I think they have some of the greatest episodes in these seasons. I remember the sixth season sort of falling down. But I mean, that kind of happens towards the end of a lot of shows. Uh, I will say, yes, there is like a new character that you're kind of uh, surmising about and for me, one of my least favorite elements of the show is this new character. But I'm actually very excited to, I think, I think I might be able to have my mind changed watching this season four for another time, you know, kind of a new perspective. So I'm really eager to get back into it and to see this new character. Um, and I'm really curious to see what you think as well. But um, yeah, I, I don't want to sound uh, negative about the fourth season if I don't like this character because I do think there are some top-notch, like some great episodes in in the following seasons to come.
0: Okay, so that's season three. That's the bow. It's being wrapped and it's done. <laughs> so now, we're going to season four. But before we get to there, we're going to be taking a break, a summer break, if you will. Yep. We're going to be...
1: <laughs> summer vacation. <laughs> it's, woo! It's,
0: it's, uh, I haven't had those since I was in school. But that's neither here nor there. So... We're going to be coming back in the fall for season four, but we were hoping that we can change up some things.
1: Yeah, so we're going to be kicking around some ideas and, and trying to think about how we can reinvent the podcast. Uh, but I mean, like, it'll probably pretty much stay the same, but we want to try some new things uh, and see how it goes. And obviously, we really want to hear from you guys. Well, we want to thank you for listening to the podcast uh, through season three. And we want to know, do you have any ideas, like, how should we approach... Every episode, do you have ideas for guests? I think someone uh, mentioned we should get someone on as a guest who worked on the show. So maybe we'll have to do some like tracking down, Charles. We need to find someone uh, who is a part of the show and see if they would uh, like to comment.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And if you, the viewer, have any suggestions for us for the future of this podcast, please email us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. And please share with us your thoughts on what we should do or even how you're enjoying the podcast so far or even not enjoying it. Please, you know, give us criticism.
1: <laughs> yeah, what have we been doing wrong? Uh, no, please, no hate mail. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> well, Charles, I'll, I mean, I'm going to see you before the fall, but, uh, um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting uh, leaving Northern Exposure for a while, but we'll be thinking about it. We'll be thinking about how we can uh, approach season four.
0: Yeah, we'll be back at Sicily.
1: All right, Charles, I'll see you then.
0: All right, see you then, Lee.
1: Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by me. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. And if you'd like to write into the podcast, you can reach us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, thank you for listening.